0: morning everyone this is another edition of the <laughs> you need to know and we're going to dish out a lot of for you because we've got a rapid fire episode we're going to give you so we're going to give multiple questions in our little 15 minute format so what do we got jason
1: let's get this thing rolling yeah a question that came in and uh it's well decide for yourself it is if i decide to till in the fall but directly seed with the disc drill in the spring, is this considered conservational tillage? Kind of sounds like a gray space to me. <laughs> well, its it feels like uh, they are asking permission to uh, get qualified for some type of program in just right. the way the question's asked. Well, I'm,
0: I've, I think all the time I'm like, how many people do we know that till in the fall and then have to do minimal field prep in the spring or, or potentially direct seed? yeah. I, I would say you're right. I think this person is asking: Are they in compliance or some kind of uh, equip or something, yeah. something of that sort, where they require conservation tillage? Maybe it's maybe it's a landowner asking that question, and 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 their tenant same, is maybe dancing a
1: fine line, yeah, or, <laughs> on, or somebody, uh, yeah. It's so in the question itself, uh, and there was quite a few replies to it. Because most people probably don't consider that a conservation tillage, but mm-hmm. it, it doesn't say a couple details that I would ask. And that is what type of tillage are you doing? My, that's a I, great, that's a great point. Yep. Here, yeah. And then what crop are you, is this happening in that you're going to direct seed into? Because I don't know if you would say it was canola. You probably aren't going to go out and totally chisel that field. Maybe you do something different and it's real easy to direct seed into. Right.
0: But a chiseled field it, and direct seed into a chisel field would probably give you some terrible uh, just yeah. depth placement seed soil contact.
1: Right. Now, say that's you're using, uh, you're just going out with a harrow or you're using some sort of vertical tillage. So you're, you're doing like a field prep, but in the fall, then it would make more sense because your ability to direct seed would be a lot easier than aggressive primary tillage so it's uh you could probably ask the question in a little more detail but i think most of the replies were you know we're going to call that minimum till or it's you're going to have some challenges and (laughs) i love this one the answer is no (laughs) (laughs) someone didn't have time for that well they had time to
0: answer and they just go yeah it's simple if you're tilling it's not conservation and and but but you're right yeah, yeah, being a little more specific, because if you had a vertical till tool in the fall, I I think more people would consider that maybe conservation tillage to
1: some degree. Now, you know, if that was if the you, only tillage pass they made, right? The more I think, the more so if you were to do something in the fall and you direct seeded, that's that's pretty close. I mean, that you if it was not aggressive tillage, you'd consider that probably conservation tillage in some areas, depending on. With the crop is you got a lot of uh, it's wheat okay. you got a so, lot of okay. residue so I'm closing on this one Yep. I think okay. that
0: really need to specify in the question because I feel like there's an undertone asking am I in compliance for a certain type of tillage I would be checking in on that because what you're hearing out of this is two different people having different opinions on what conservation tillage really means I think it's Close gray to. space so anyways next question next one yeah so uh, this person asking, I am looking for information on chelation agents for foliar nutrients and which is best. I have been using EDTA, and the research I've done says they are not the best.
1: Well, part of that is true.
0: <laughs> so, yeah, there there's an interesting thing you hear there. So uh, I hear what chelation is best, and I hear foliar application. So typically, e- e- your EDTA or your EDDHA... Or sometimes you have, uh, you know, like a DTPA. Uh, they, they're they mostly for inferal micronutrients, not foliar. Not saying that you can't use chelated micronutrients or chelated nutrients for foliar uptake because there could be a potential fit for that in some circumstances. But foliar, I there's probably more cases that you
1: don't need that protection yeah because the the, ED, the edta is designed to give you a protection on a nutrient applied to the soil because the soil is going to try to grab onto that like a zinc molecule and it's going to want to attach and then it becomes um you're going to form some a calcium or not a calcium so you get zinc's too positive but you're going to have something that's going to attach to that and you don't have the availability you're not really looking for that in a foliar sense. Right. I mean, I mean, most, so, but most products are probably made with some EDTA. If you're at a, at a on a foliar level, they're, they're using ingredients that will contain EDTA, but just most are designed and you're talking, yeah, EDDAJ, EDTA. They're designed to go in furrow or counterbalance the, the things the soil is going to try to do and and grab onto those things and make them non-plant available.
0: Right, exactly. Chelation agent. Simply put, a claw that sits around a nutrient that will keep it free-flowing through a soil system without being attached to some other soil, you know, micronutrient or some other soil nutrient that could tie it up as an uh, just unsoluble or insoluble uh, different compound. And that gives time for the plant roots to find it and then they have acids and everything that they get extrude just like they do Mm -hmm. when they're trying to, uh, you know, get other nutrients in that rhizosphere, that area. And then they can detach that as they're pulling that in. Um, not to say that you can't use, let's say an EDTA micronutrient foliar, because there are plenty of circumstances where I've seen that work well. Um, and we both used to work for a business that sold micronutrients and some of our foliar options, that, that that business had were EDTA because they found that there were compatibility issues with uh, certain micronutrients when they were doing that. So is there a readily available source for you information wise to go find these things? Um, there are no books that I knew no. about or, or useful guides or anything like that. Uh, that was, that was a lot of industry knowledge that, 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 yep. that was how we were privy to that information. So there's not, I, I'm i not sure what I can share and what I can't on that. So I'm going to opt on the side of <laughs> that. I can't say too much other than there are some EDTAs you can use and a lot of it's compatibility reasons on yep. uh, why they chose that
1: version of that nutrient. Micros are very interesting. And then, and then formulation and then you get into tank mixes or situations like that. I always remember we would have, if you mixed a Mazamox with a micronutrient And that was your application on soybeans. You almost always had a failure because the site of action in that group two ALS was at the same site and the micronutrient got there faster than the Amazimox and you had non-performance almost 100% of the time. (laughs) And as the person that was out uh, and checking on those calls one night, I was the person, it was very high. So some of this information that you're hearing is due to mistakes made (laughs) that's <laughs> how you learn, right? It's the only way you learn. Uh, well, it's not the only way, but
0: the hard <laughs> knocks way is uh, probably the way you'll never forget. <laughs> yeah. Once you learn. Um, so, unfortunately, we don't have a good guide for you to go off of on this, but um, but know that there is a lot more wide open, uh, I guess, options on there. Uh, you know, like, for instance, zinc sulfate is often the one that's used as a source when They add EDTA to that and then actually go through the chemical process of uh, attaching those two things together. So zinc sulfate foliar probably is just as good of an option as, as a zinc chelate. And it should be less expensive because the EDTA chelate on its own is pretty expensive. Now, just one little bit on chelate, if you're not talking foliar, is certain chelates do have more affinity versus others. As far as how they attach to certain nutrients and how they can keep attached and protect it in the soil. And so, for instance, we keep talking EDTA, so I'll start there. That has a high affinity for zinc. That's my knowledge on that. And so I know that that's the better choice. Uh, something that's popular here, if you get into North Dakota, uh, western Minnesota, and probably parts of eastern South Dakota too, and in down into Iowa, is if you have iron deficiency chlorosis, you're probably playing around with iron. Some. That's where we keep talking about that EDDHA, and that has the highest affinity for iron out of any of the chelating agents that are out there. So that's something important to look at when you're picking an iron product because you can get an EDTA iron product that's out there, and it is not near as good as the EDDHA. So that's something to think about too when you're looking at products for in the soil. So there are differences in chelating agents. But again, um, unfortunately... I don't know of a good resource yeah, on that. Okay, so we're going to call that one done and yep. finish out on one more question. Okay, on my treated soybeans, what is best, a dry inoculant or a liquid? This is actually kind of a fun question because um, I come from a bigger pulse growing area. And if someone were to ask me, what's the difference between a dry and a liquid inoculant for field peas or chickpeas or lentils or something like that, and I go, you pick a dry all day and sure. and a liquid, you better be prepped and ready to go like right now, right after you apply. Because on liquid products and pulse crops, you have basically a 12 hour window for the most part. Once you apply it on the seed that it could be dried up and desiccated and dead where you, you just don't have that long of a life on a liquid product in that case where the, the dry is a lot more stable. And if that's peat or a dry granular when you go to soybeans it's a little different deal soybeans soybeans have had a lot of work done on uh yeah on on the what is it uh rhizobium japonicum mm-hmm. that strain of bacteria it's it's made to run through the ringer and then some when it comes to seed treating
1: i i wonder if this doesn't stem a little bit to a fertilizer question because people say well, what's you know what's better a dry fertilizer or a liquid and i think the assumption is, is that a liquid is more readily available yep and that's it's 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 the form it's it's water soluble npk and in in an inoculant um if there was more detail to the question uh this one comes out of ontario let's assume that if there was not soybeans on this ground before my answer would be uh you're going to use both a liquid and a
0: dry actually it's it's, that's been my answer a lot because i'm in an area that doesn't grow a lot of soybeans, and so when they do, it's like, hey, you should double inoculate, and when I mean double, don't double your liquid. Use a different source so you have multiple sources of inoculant. And simply put, the liquid inoculants are less expensive. The dry granular inoculants will cost you more money. But the the dry granular inoculants give you the freedom to put it on yourself if you're not commercially treating your seed uh-huh. or you don't feel like you need seed treatment but you need to have inoculants somehow. So that, that dry granular gives you an option. It also is a second form for soil stability reasons. So you just have another way of putting it in the soil. Your liquid soybean inoculants, they always were 30 days, but I think some of them are 60 days now that companies will give guarantees on, on from, from the point of treating yeah. to when you use it. I'm, I'm not going to go with those days though. I'm <laughs> I per I would se. Right. I, I I don't know if I'd be treating that early, but you could treat, you know, and plant within days and not have any issues. Yeah. It's not like the, the pea and lentil situation I'm talking about earlier. If you use a liquid there, like you better be using it within a few hours. You know, there there you've got more flexibility and time on soybeans.
1: Well you gotta pay attention to your your, your count. Um, is that product or from a reputable company? um have they had any work done with it uh, you, you can kind of tell i don't i don't get hung up on what is what is best it's going to be what what fits um we we still we still inoculate a lot in our neck of the woods we grow grow soybeans a lot but we have high phs and that's going to counteract the the lifespan of what what you're trying to do so you also have this thing called overland flooding Yeah,
0: that would drown the soil and kill the life (laughs) in the soil and in which which you need those kind of things too because uh yeah things don't live when they drown most of the
1: time and there's there's uh by the time the the trend is we're planting soybeans earlier so uh there's more seed treatment that's going on most people if the beans don't come treated they're getting beans treated as they're getting treated they're also getting inoculated so there's uh it's on it's already on the seed type of thing but there are some folks that they just have a favorite uh they'll get their beans liquid treated and then they'll also put on their own uh dry and it really depends on the period of time in their rotation and so it's my opinion uh i don't know if there's any one that's best it, the best practice is to inoculate well put
0: and i'd say just to finish on the soybean topic is they liquid or dry, they've made great stability products with with good rhizobium counts. I don't think one's better versus the other. Like I said, inoculating is the way to go, especially in in a lot of situations, at least for us in the north. And it's just a good practice. So it's what fits your operation. And that is our rapid fire version of (laughs) the you need to know this week. So we'll see you guys.